Praise the Lord. Please join me in a brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've already done today, Lord, for that wonderful time of worship and, and, uh, and the opportunity to come together and share communion together in remembrance of what you've done for us. Uh, Lord, uh, we just ask you to meet each and every one of us where we're at. Uh, speak to us, Lord, your word of truth. Uh, may it ring true in our hearts, and may we grab a hold of it and run with it. Um, in, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Going to predominantly be coming out of Genesis 15, uh, first six verses. Uh, today we're going to talk about Abraham. Remember, this is the second week of the series. The gospel foreshadowed. I'll be doing this series all the way into Easter Sunday. And as you are turning there, I will point out in Genesis 12, um, mostly the, the first seven verses, but in Genesis 12, verse 3, God called Abraham. And how many know here know how old Abraham was when God called him? <laughs> Somebody said old. Correct. Can we, can we, can we dial it in? Well, I'll, say, I'll tell you, Abraham, Abram was 75 years old. <laughs> I mean, God called a 75-year-old Abram to leave his country, to leave his kinfolk, to leave his father's house, and to travel to a land that God would show him. You talk about a major major life change, right? At a time when most people are settling, God said, uproot and go. And for his faithful obedience, God gave Abram a multifaceted promise. God promised to make him a great nation, to bless him and make his name great so that he will be a great blessing. God promised to bless those who blessed Abram and to curse anyone who dishonored him. And we'll focus more today on the part where God promised Abram that all the families of the earth shall be blessed through him. Now, the blessing would depend on Abram being able to have a son because in verse 7 of chapter 12, God says, to your offspring, I will give this land. You can't give the land to offspring if you don't have offspring. <laughs> right? And so that tells you that something miraculous is going to have to happen. You know, Sarai was barren and they're 75 years old, or Abram is. And it is at this time that God tells him, if you obey me in this, if you agree to take this faith journey with me, here is how I will bless you. I'm going to give you the land that I settle you in, which ended up being the land of Canaan, and your offspring will possess that land. That's a promise to God that you're going to have offspring.
Three chapters later, and a number of years later, um, I can't give you an exact number of years, but I can tell you that even in chapter 15 where we're starting today, we're Ishmael, the Ishmael incident hasn't happened yet. And the Ishmael incident happened 10 years after he settled in Canaan. So sometime between he left and the Ishmael incident, we get to chapter 15. Abram is pushing 80 by this time. And I'll read the first six verses of chapter 15. Abraham's three, three chapters into his journey with God at the tender age that he started at the tender age of 75. <laughs> After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. I like the King James Version that says, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. I feel like it captures it better because God is saying, I am your shield and I am your reward. Both your defense and your blessing are rooted in me, says the Lord. Amen? And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring. See, Abram understood. He understood the promise in chapter 12. I got to be able to have offspring for this to happen. He understood. You've given me no offspring, and a member of my household would be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So here we are. Abraham started his faith journey with the Lord at age 75. He's gung-ho. Hope springs eternal. He's on fire for God. Never going to doubt Jesus or never going to doubt God. And three chapters in, doubt has creeped in. Can anybody here relate to Abram? You know, even the great Abram, who became Abraham at some point, and we'll get to that, even he had moments where he struggled concerning the promise. We often want to have this, we act like there is this perfect standard of faith that we always have to walk in, but, but I tell you what, there's ebbs and flows to life. There's peaks and valleys to life. There is adversity to life, and sometimes the adversity knocks us down a bit, and it actually it actually affects our will to the point that we're, we're on the verge of going down for the count. Abram was not immune to this. Uh, to me, I want to I point that out because it makes him more relatable to us. 
He, he wasn't this miraculous paragon of faith. As, as great as his trust was in the Lord, circumstances did cause him to struggle. But he didn't get stuck there. He engaged God there, and he pushed through by the grace of God. Amen? So don't beat yourself up if you, in your faith journey with God, if you fall. If you have a little bit of doubt and, 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 and you have to find your equilibrium somehow. You know, just engage God. Be honest with God about where you're at and, and, and engage God there so that God could reaffirm you. So Abram, three chapters in, he's in that point of struggle concerning the promise. The promise from God that all families of the earth would be blessed through Abram is contingent upon Abram having offspring. And as I said earlier, Abram is closer to 80 than 75 now, and he still has no offspring. He's feeling the pressure for things to start happening. I I don't know how many more years I got on this earth, Lord. It was difficult enough to get my mind around it at 75. I'm pushing 80 now, and each year makes it harder for me to, to hang on. So he expressed his concerns to God. And God reaffirms him. He reaffirms the promise to him when he says here, I love the Lord says here, when he says, the Lord said, came to him and said, um, this man will not be your heir, your own son will be your heir. So he reaffirms the promise. And he took him outside told him to look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Notice, he's still old. Sarai is still barren. There's still nothing tangible that's taking place. What he has is the word of the Lord. reaffirming to him that the promise I gave you will come to pass. You know, and I want to challenge us as sons and daughters of God, right, that our confidence is reaffirmed at the word of the Lord. God's promise is sure. You know, and God... Don't stop wasting your time trying to give God these hurdles to climb over in order to reaffirm you that what he said he's going to do, he's going to do. At some point, you're just going to have to resolve in your heart that God is faithful. He cannot tell a lie. He's a promise keeper. What he said he'll do, he'll do. And instead of looking for external confirmation, what I'm going to do is do what Abram did. He's going to take it to God and ask his questions because he's looking for affirmation. He's looking to to be reaffirmed and reassured by God. That's who made the promise. What I'm looking to someone else for, if God's the one who made the promise, do I trust that he's going to keep his promise? 
And it says that he believed the Lord. Nothing changed, but he engaged God, and the issue was settled. He believed God. Against all of the evidence that seemed to be to the contrary, he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Romans 4, verses 3 through 5, Paul marveled at this. He was impressed by this. He says, starting in verse 3 of Romans 4, for what does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is a foreshadowing that the righteousness from God was going to come by faith. We don't have any law yet. We don't have circumcision yet. We have Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He put his total faith and trust in God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That was foreshadowing that, that whenever the new covenant hit, whenever the Messiah came, there would, you know, God would make it so that what he required from us is faith. That if we will put our faith and trust in him, he will have done the work to make us righteous in him. Amen? Uh, staying in Romans 4, going down to verse 10, he then, uh, I, I could not, I could not leave this out. Y'all be the judge. Maybe God wanted me to, but somehow, some way, I, I couldn't get it out of here. How then was it counted to him? Now, it was counted to, counted to him as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It's not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. You know, this issue of circumcision versus uncircumcision, the circumcision, circumcision is God's chosen people, the Jews. The uncircumcised is another word, term used for the Gentiles. And he said it, there's a reason he is pointing this out. The purpose in verse 11, underline it, highlight it, do whatever you need to do to mark it so that you can go back to it and really spend some time with God uh, uh, in this passage. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So you don't got to be. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to be that way in order for you to be included in the covenantal promise to Abraham. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Praise the Lord. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. What that's basically saying is whether you are a Jew or Gentile, it is by faith in Christ that we are justified and made righteous. 
you can be circumcised. In other words, you can be a descendant of Abraham, but if you don't have his faith, you don't have his promise. And you cannot be a descendant of his, but if you share his faith, then you have his promise. Are you hearing me? Now, I want us to go to Genesis chapter 22. This all started with the promise to a 75-year-old gentleman. Like I said, he wasn't perfect. Y'all remember when he went into Egypt? Before he went in there, he told his wife, hey, if they think that, if they... (laughs) If they think you, if they know you're my wife, they might kill me and take you from me. So when we go in here, you ain't my wife. You're my sister. And because of that lie, a man almost lost his life. Remember that promise that God gave to Abram? Those who dishonor you, I will curse. This man dishonored him and didn't even know it. It was Abram's lie. This guy who's trusting God, couldn't trust God to walk through Egypt, that God would preserve him in that. He had to come up with his own plan. Can anybody relate to that? Feeling the, the feeling that you have to help God out. I just trusted God for one thing, and he came through for me, but this is an entirely different thing. I'm going to have to make plans. I'm going to have to figure this thing out. I'm going to have to help God out. And if it works out like it's worked out for me, then all we do is make things worse, and it's a mess. Uh, Early in Christy and I's marriage, here I am on fire for the Lord, and and I've had a, a sordid uh, past, and, and uh, we both had our music collections. You know, and that music collection included secular music. And one day, I decided I'm the priest of my home. This junk can't stay here. I got to get rid of it. But I didn't get rid of just my stuff. I got rid of both of our stuff. I got rid of dozens of CDs and stuff, man. And, and I just dumped them into the dumpster right outside of married student housing in our apartment and so forth. Christy comes home. I don't, I, don't, I don't exactly remember how it went down, but she was shocked. And here I am thinking, I'm, hey, I'm on the side of right here. Right? You know? And I'm like, come on now. Give it the program. This is godliness here. Either you're with the program or not. But I, what I did was I, I, her dominion sensor went off because I made a decision for her based on my own past struggles. You know, what God was moving me to do was for me to get rid of my stuff to, to break some of those ties from the past. That wasn't a decision I was supposed to make for her. She didn't have those issues that I had. 
we're still here. She forgave me. I don't remember all I had to do to make up for that. You know, I'm, I was endeavoring to honor the Lord there. But, but in a way, I failed to honor the Lord there because what God was telling me to do, what I felt I needed to do in my walk with the Lord, I've turned it into something more than what God intended for it to be. And that caused some tension. We'll say, well, we, what do we call those? We don't call them arguments or fights. We call those intense moments of fellowship between me and my wife. But her being the godly woman that she is, she forgave me. Did I have to climb in there and get any of them out? I think I smashed some of them. Only mine. Only mine. The point is that sometimes, even with the best of intentions, we can miss it. We get to going by our own understanding and things go, go awry. And then we're wondering where God is in all of this. When God's been there the whole time, we took a detour. And it's up to us to get back on the right path with God so that we're walking in the will and peace and presence of God. Are you hearing me? So to humanize Abram, I'm pointing out different issues with him just to humanize him, to let you know that, man, failures, faults, mistakes, they're all a part of the faith journey with God. Like the passage says, a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up again. We let nothing deter us from persevering in the faith path with God. Later on in Abram's journey, Genesis 22, I'm just, verses, we're just focused on verses 6 to 18, and then we'll bring it to, bring it to a close. God has given Abram and his wife a child. After the mistake that they made, when Sarah gave Abram her servant girl and he got her pregnant and produced Ishmael, they said after 10 years, maybe God meant, maybe God meant to do it this way. And that was a huge mistake. But finally, it did happen. And the child that was born is Isaac. And some years after Isaac was born, Abram is, Abraham is over 100 years old. And Isaac, strapping young fellow, God tests Abram. Abraham by this time, he tests him, tells him to sacrifice his son. And in verse 6, it says that Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering 
laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac was old enough to to notice, you know, to notice that something wasn't quite normal here. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And I believe that's a foreshadowing of the lamb of God that God would provide for himself, which is Jesus. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I I, I do want to point out here, Abraham is a hundred-year-old man. Isaac is a young man. Abraham is praised and deserves to be praised and given credit for being willing to obey God and sacrificing his only begotten son, which would be a foreshadow of what God would do. That there's purpose in God having him do this, was to foreshadow what God himself would do in giving his only begotten son. But I also want to say that Isaac is also a foreshadow because as the son The only way his dad could have tied him up and put him on that altar was if the son willingly allowed it to happen. Because if the son was determined not to be bound and not to be sacrificed, he had the strength, he had the capability to fight off a hundred-year-old man and prevent it. So he yielded himself to the very thing that God had called his father to. And it's a foreshadowing that the father would give his only begotten son, but Jesus, the only begotten son, would willingly allow himself to be sacrificed for our sins. You know, you look in the Old Testament, why would he ask him to do that? Well, because it's a foreshadowing of what God himself would do. You see in the natural what was going to take place to our spiritual benefit in the New Testament. So let's give respect to both Abraham and Isaac here. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, 
Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The promise to Abraham, we have to look at it twofold. There is a part of it that was specific to the people of Israel. But there's, there's also a second part of it that's foreshadowing that's for everybody, both Jew and Gentile, that would be fulfilled in, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. You look at the lineage of Jesus, you can trace him back to Abraham through Isaac as the one to fulfill the promise that would be fulfilled through Isaac. I said earlier, both during the communion and earlier in the message, that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the, of the world. It is only by trusting Jesus' sacrifice for our sins that we can be reconciled and connect with the Holy God. Otherwise, we would perish. Hebrews 9.22, the verse that I slaughtered during communion, and y'all were so gracious to let me slide on that. Apart from the shedding of blood, there can be no remission. There was always going to be a penalty required. The sin that was entered in at man's disobedience in the garden there was always going to have to be a punishment, always going to have to be a penalty that had to be paid. The debt of sin had to be satisfied in order for us to be reconciled to God. And it was not a debt that we were even capable of paying. Now, I say all this because, you know, all the time we hear about Man, I don't believe a loving God would let all this stuff happen in the world that's happening. If God really was a loving God, why do people get murdered or raped? Or why do people suffer these horrific things? We suffer these horrific things because of sin. Not because this is what God wanted. It's because when Satan used that serpent, and that serpent deceived Adam and Eve, and they partook of that fruit. Sin entered in. And once sin entered in, it all broke loose. And it is because of sin that you have people act selfishly, violently, hatefully. The evils in the world that we are subjected to are the result of sin. Not because of what God wanted, 
but because of the enemy of your soul. Came. Lied to us. Deceived us into joining him in his disobedience and rebellion against God and the same consequence that fell on him by extension fell on us. And here's where the love, you know, so to measure the love of God isn't, we're not looking at it right when we're looking at all these consequences in the world, all these horrific things and saying if there was a loving God, he wouldn't let these things happen. Now we're looking in the wrong place. Once you know the scripture, you know it was not a loving God that caused this to happen, but a hateful devil. You'll know that in scripturally, we are the apple of God's eye. God created us in his own image. God fellowship with Adam and Eve daily in the garden. There was an intimate relationship there. That's how God originally intended for it to be and for it to remain. And if God didn't love us, God would have just wiped us out and, and built another couple from the dirt. But he loved us so much, he did not wipe us out. Yeah, I know there was a flood and everything, but you know what? Not everybody died in that flood. The same creation, Noah came from the same creation after the fall. And he shows you don't got to be perfect if you're willing to walk with God in faith and trust him. You'll be full of God's grace and mercy and God will preserve you. But this shows the love of God. God would have been just just to destroy every living thing on the earth including us. Wipe us out and just start from scratch. But you know what? He loved us too much to do that. God looked at our condition and the further we got from the fall, the worse we got. The, f the more disconnected we got from God, the worse we got morally. And God, knowing our condition, loved us enough that he already had a plan in case we were to falter. He realized that we couldn't we could we could we didn't have it in us to make it to make it right. The sin nature on the inside of us could not obey the law in its totality. Therefore, we were doomed to eternal condemnation. And what did God do? He said, I'll I'll do it for them. I will judge them as deserving of death. Then I will serve their punishment. And all they'd have to do is come to me in faith. And the me that's the measure of God's love. And he's going to prepare a place for us that where he is, we'll be too. So forget about 
these why questions. Why does all this stuff happen? Why does the loving God allow these things to happen? There are consequences to sin. We confront those consequences on a regular basis. But despite that, we have a God who sent us a Savior who overcame sin and death, conquered them through the cross on our behalf. He says, come to me in faith and I will make you to conquer sin and death as well. That's the love of God. And you will be with me forever. The very thing that Satan tried to destroy, your ability to be with God forever, God through Christ Jesus repaired that breach and gave us the ability to return back to that loving, intimate communion and fellowship with God that was intended in the very beginning. So, Hebrews 9.22, apart from the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. Brings us to John 3.16.17. Jesus when he came up on the scene at age 30 and his cousin John the Baptist saw him, what did he say? He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's love. He came to die for you and I as the Lamb of God. And it says, chapter 3 of uh, the Gospel of John, verses 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's where the love is. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. We were condemned already. He came that we might be saved through him. That we might, because of what Jesus did, It's important for us to trust the work of Jesus, the Lamb of God, in order for us to be able to enjoy relationship with God. So if you're here today and you don't know him, he loves you. He gave himself for you. You have within your, you have it within your ability right now to be an intimate fellowship and relationship with the God of your salvation. You are why Jesus came. You are why Jesus allowed himself to be nailed to the cross. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, 
Yes, he was talking about the people who railroaded him and, and caused him to be up on that cross, but he wasn't just talking about them. He was talking about you and I too. Who would also benefit from him dying on that cross and raising again the third day? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We're walking in deception. The anointed cherub that covereth has deceived so many. They're walking in darkness. They don't know the truth. Thank God that he gave, that he always has a remnant, that he's given those of us who are children of light. He's given us to our communities so that we can be the light that he's called us to be, so that we can share the good news of the gospel in the midst of the darkness in the hopes that some may see that light and be drawn to it and come out of darkness into his marvelous light. And some will have to be dragged, not because necessarily that they're unwilling to, but again, you live in that darkness for so long, your mind is trapped in that's what reality is. And so that means we're going to have to invest our time, do life with people, really lay down our lives as it were so that God can use us to help transform people's minds so that they can really see their need for the liberty that's offered in Christ. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul wrote, um, finally he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's one of my, one of my favorite uh, passages, and this is the last verse of that passage, and this is probably the only time you'll witness me only read the last verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I always read 17 to 21, but today... I'll just read the 21st verse. It says, for our sake, he made him, and that him is Jesus. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's, just think about that. That, that, that. It really makes no sense if, you know, uh, uh, Christy and I just recently became officially the owners of our home earlier this year. A little over a month ago, we got the letter. But thinking about up until that time, we didn't own the house. And if we failed to make payments, they would have been, you know, we, we made an agreement. We will make X amount of payments for X amount length of time, after which that has been satisfied, we will become the owner of the house. Up until that point, the bank or the lender is the owner if that covenant gets broken. But what if somewhere along the line we were unable to pay? What would have happened? What would have been the consequence? Foreclosed. We'd have lost our house. The bank would have taken possession of it and they would have done whatever they could to, to get the money out of it, sold it or whatever. 
when it comes to the condition of our soul, that we, we were in that situation where, look, God is our lender. We owed a mortgage, and we failed to make good on that mortgage. But instead of foreclosing on us, God made it right and allowed us to stay in the home, <laughs> right? So it makes no sense in the world of business for a lender to do that, does it? But, but God doesn't work like the world works. God says, you know what? I am your judge. Yes, I am your judge. But more importantly, I am your father. I am your creator. I am your savior. And I will not judge you without giving you an opportunity to come to me in faith that you might be redeemed and reconciled to me, giving you every opportunity to enter into the loving salvation of the Lord. Amen? That is the God that we serve. I know we don't, one of my biggest laments is that you don't see that God in the public sphere. You don't see it enough because, and I'm not just going to blame the unbelievers. I'm going to get on my soapbox here a little bit. It's our job to carry the banner of our God. It's our job as believers, right, to be ambassadors, uh, to be ambassadors for Jesus in the right way, to represent him the way he's called us to represent him. Right? And so when people want to tempt us and pull us into hate and pull us into causing all kinds of havoc and mayhem and all this other stuff because we're fighting for this or fighting for that, we better, we better kill all that noise and decide that we're going to engage our God uh, and we're not going to allow these side arguments and side fights to get us off mission. But we will honor our God. We're not going to lie like Abram did and tell, go into Egypt and say that his wife is his sister. Make our own little side arrangements designed to protect some interest that we have. No, we're going to trust in the Lord our God. And we're going to do it his way because his way is what matters. As his will is done in heaven, it's our desire that his will is done here on earth in our lives. So we're going to surrender to him. And, and we might want to give people a piece of our mind. But you know what? More so than giving the people a piece of our mind is we should want to please God. Amen. So God, whatever you would have me do, I'm willing to take the faith journey with you that Abram at age 75 decided to take as well. He gave it all up. And he decided that he's going to fully put his trust in you. And, and it is Abram's faith that is referred to when it talks about coming to faith in Christ for salvation. Not just, I'm not just looking for fire insurance. I'm not just looking for insurance to get out of hell. I want to know the God of my salvation. I want to walk with him. I want to know what it is to trust him. I want to know him face to face, intimately.
Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask you all to stand. Centuries before Jesus was even on the scene, God was foreshadowing, foreshadowing what he would do to reconcile us to him. Even in this Abrahamic covenant, all the nations, all the families of the earth can be blessed through Jesus. He is the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of that covenantal promise. Those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus, we know that there is honey in the rock. We know his great and tender love. We know his forgiveness. We, 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 we know what it's like to be and how it feels like to be the redeemed of the Lord. And that's why we praise him. Like the song says, that's why we praise him. That's why we sing. That's why we offer him our everything. That's why we bow down and worship this king because he gave his everything. Hallelujah. And like I said, I, I don't assume anything. Maybe you're here today and you don't know this king. Maybe you're here today and you didn't know the love of God for you. Well, you've heard about his love for you now. And, and when he went to the cross, he went to the cross for you. He wants you to know him intimately. He wants you to know him personally. He wants you to put your faith and trust in him. that you might know his faithfulness, that you might taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I offer you this, this precious opportunity to respond to the call of the Lord. The Lord says, come. Come, give me your heart. Come. Place your faith and trust in me. For I love you. I died on the cross and I rose again to be your Savior and Lord, to be your Redeemer. And all, all that he asks of you is that you would come and give him your heart. Acknowledge who he is and surrender to him, declaring him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. If there is anyone here who wants this love, who hasn't known this love but wants it, then I bid you to come and let this be your moment that you enter into the salvation of the Lord, that you, by the faith of Abraham, become a beneficiary of the covenantal promise that is yours in Jesus' name. What can wash away my 
sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Father God, in the name of Jesus, uh, Thank you for the opportunity and privilege to share your word, Lord. And, and Lord, I, I just pray for each and every one here today and, and those who are listening online, Father God. That, Lord, I just pray that the truth and the significance of what you've done really just, just permeates our heart and our souls, Lord. And if anybody... Anybody listening who doesn't know you, who doesn't know you in in, in an intimate relationship with you, Lord, who hasn't placed their full faith and trust in you, Lord, if they, if that's whoever that is, Father God, I just pray that whatever fears or whatever is hindering them from making the best decision they could ever make in their lives. I just pray that you would expose and reveal the lies, that, that you would break whatever bonds, whatever ties, whatever things they feel like they can't let go. Father God, I just pray that you open their eyes of their understanding and you lead them to repentance by your goodness. I know you love them and I pray they come to know your great love for them as well Father do your work continue to work in our hearts and we pray that you are glorified and magnified in us and through us in Jesus name we pray